his resolutions going. Yeah, okay, somebody's good. The rest of you are avoiding eye contact. So um, <clears throat> I was thinking about New Year's resolutions. This is, by the way, the start of the message, but I was thinking of New Year's resolutions, and it occurred to me at how many of them are often really basic, that there are some of us that might want to lose a thousand pounds or climb Mount Everest this year or read 73 books. Some of us have those kind of goals, but most people are like, I just want to be healthier. I just want to lose some weight or I want to be a more disciplined person. And what it occurred to me was this, that whether you have a big stretch goal or you're just trying to improve, your ability to do either one comes down to the basics. It comes down to habits. It comes down to little day in, day out stuff. And so we're starting a series today that'll carry us through the next several weeks, actually called Back to Basics. It's gonna help you with your life. It's gonna help you with your faith. And I thought that there'd be nowhere better to go to get back to basics than to resume our teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus's basic essential vision for his kingdom. It was what he wanted your life and mine to be shaped by. And how many of you know that if Jesus put his focus on laying something out, we should put our focus on what he laid out. And so we've already marched through Matthew chapter five, which takes up the first part of it. And then as I begin to pray through and get my mind around this series in the season of prayer and fasting that we're in right now, wouldn't you know that the verse where we left off last time and picked up today uh, talked to us about prayer, fasting, and giving? Super appropriate. So why don't you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word? I'm going to march through quite a few verses here, but those who endure to the end will be saved, according to the gospel. <clears throat> so Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus talking about how to give. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now he talks about how to pray. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to the Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. <clears throat> don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven... Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, we spent some time here a couple of weeks ago. If you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Then he talks about how to fast. 
Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And this, my friends, this is God's word. You may be seated. So, um, Isaac, risky moment. Look, I caught it. Okay. So, um, I read something this week from uh, author James Clear, big fan of him. He does a lot of writing on habits, commend his books to you. But um, he shared something about the NFL coach Vince Lombardi. Now, Vince Lombardi is the... Um, He's so synonymous with winning that the Super Bowl trophy is now called the what? The Lombardi Trophy. Uh, he, won, he won five Super Bowls in his day. He was winning Super Bowls before it was called the Super Bowl. It was just called the NFL Championship. And he was winning them, baby. And so uh, Vince Lombardi, though, he didn't always win every game because who does? And before he won a Super Bowl, uh, they got to the championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles. 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 That's, that's better, isn't it? The Philadelphia Eagles. That, wow. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So they lost a nail-biter in the championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles, and so they had their off-season, and their first day in training camp, whenever they came back, um, if it's me, if it's you, I don't know, maybe you think to begin, uh, in a sense, you pick up where you left off. Guys, we were this close, this close to winning last time but we didn't quite have the knowledge we needed. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you some advanced strategy, and this time we will vanquish the Philadelphia evils. But he didn't say that. Here's what he did. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. He just went all the way back to basics. This is a football. And then the opening days of training camp, you know what they focused on? Blocking, catching the ball, tackling people. And one of his best players at a moment sort of joked and said, coach, could you slow down? I don't think we understand you. But it was all about the basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. Okay, Isaac, thank you, sir. Now, whenever Jesus is talking to us in prayer and fasting right here, he's discussing some of the basic habits of a Christian. Notice he doesn't say, if you give, if you pray, if you fast, He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Because to Jesus, a prayerless Christian is a contradiction in terms. Think about it. If we would say we know God, but we never pray to him, we are effectively declaring our independence from him. Like, I'll take it from here. You'll take what from here? Like my whole life, obviously. I never ask you for help with anything, do I? So we don't want to be prayerless people. Uh, He talks about giving. Uh, A Christian who never gives, who's never touched by the things that touch the heart of God enough to sacrifice for the good of another. Jesus here very specifically saying, when you give to the poor, you know what that means we should all be doing? We should be giving to the poor. We should be finding ways to do that. And then fasting as well. If, if fasting is not a regular part of your life, which is one of the reasons why we put it on the calendar each year, because it's sometimes challenging to make it a regular part of your life. 
but he gives us the time to sort of go in together on crucifying the flesh and reminding ourselves that the kingdom of God is more valuable than all the foods, even better than Oreos, even better than Doritos, if that is possible. Yes, it is. The kingdom of God is actually worth our focus, but will we sacrifice for the sake of bringing our desires in line with his desires? So Jesus is assuming we do things like give, pray, and fast. And so what he begins to talk about, though, is something more basic even than those habits. He begins to talk about our motives. And this is one question that will go all the way through the passage today. Jesus is essentially asking this. Number one, why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? Why do you do the things you do And who do you do them for? There's nothing more foundational in our life than the motives of our heart. Excuse me, I hope I don't have to do a whole lot of of that. So whenever you give to the poor, Jesus says, don't go announcing a trumpet sound. Behold, I'm getting out of my car to walk to the corner and talk to the guy, looking over my shoulder to see who is noticing while I give unto the poor. Jesus says, Don't do that. Don't do things to be applauded by people. That's what Jesus says. Don't do things like the hypocrites do to be applauded by people. Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who will do it to be seen by people. In another passage, Jesus said they love to lengthen their tassels and offer really long, dramatic prayers. And Jesus says, don't do that. Verse 16 Don't be gloomy like the hypocrites whenever you fast, contorting your face, not using any hairspray, letting your beard grow out whenever you would normally shave it just so you can look especially distressed, going with your friends to Chili's and saying, gosh, I really want some of that queso, but you know what? The kingdom is greater. He's better. For you, God, for you, God, this fast. Not saying it to him in prayer, but saying it before your friends at lunch, right? So Jesus is saying there's a way to do all of these things and to totally miss the point. If you're doing it to be seen, to be noticed, you're missing it. And he says, don't be like the hypocrites. We have a phrase that maybe Jesus would have used if this was around back then. Maybe Jesus would have said, don't virtue signal. Don't be that guy. Don't be her pointing to yourself, but he uses this term hypocrites, which is the Greek term for it. It was actually kind of a reference to an actor, those who wear a mask, those who play a role. And what we know is that the really good actors immerse themselves so much in a character that you feel like they're not even acting. You feel like they are them. Marlon Brando, you are the godfather. Heath Ledger, you are the joker. Tom Hanks, you are, you are Forrest Gump. You know, you are them. You just lose yourself in that performance. And yet, do you know who always knows if we're performing or if we're being real? God. He always sees the motives of our heart. We may fool everybody and anybody, but we can never fool God. And so when Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, he's saying, don't be like those who are acting out godly things, but what they're really wanting is your attention and mine. They're wanting to impress. They're wanting us to say like, wow, look at that guy. Look at him. Look at how devoted he is. Look at how passionate he is. Jesus says, 
Truly, I tell you, he says it three different times. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. I remember the first time I read that, I was like, so what does that mean? I remember wrestling with that. Like they do get a little blessing. Essentially what it means though is, hey, if you do it for the likes on Instagram, if you do it for the applause, I hope you enjoyed that because that's all the reward you're gonna get. So anything that we're doing for God must be really done for God. We do it for him. Now it says back in Matthew chapter five, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the same sermon. So what does this mean? Jesus is saying, you know, the hypocrites love to do it to be seen. And then he says earlier, though, let your light shine before others so that they can see. It's all about who you want to be seen when you do what you do. You may be asked to pray in public. You may give in public. You may do something that is seen. But are you wanting people to see you or are you wanting people to see your father? So we are meant to be, C.S. Lewis says, sort of like the moon, that the light we have is reflective. Does that make sense? The moon reflects the greater light of the sun. And so whenever we are shining our light before men, we are actually seeking to reflect his light to men because we're trying to make a big deal out of God and not ourselves. So why do you do the things you do? Who do you do them for? This isn't going to be on screen, but it's an important point. Uh, People's approval will never last long enough for you to feel the significance that you're hoping to get from them. Whether it's a platform you want to build online, a popularity level you're looking to get to in school, friends you wish you have that won't pay attention to you, the renown that you would like in church but you seem to get overlooked, whatever you're looking for from people, even if you get it, it will not last. And these are lessons that, I mean, we should learn them from pop culture, right? Right now, uh, Hollywood's firing off sort of one movie after another about kind of tragic lives. Uh, Elvis, Whitney Houston. Like when it comes to pop culture, when it comes to music, we have kind of these supercharged examples of stuff that's really in our hearts as well. The desire to be revered, to be loved based on our performance. And one of the things you see in these lives again and again is that whenever it starts to slip either because people's tastes change or because you get older and you're just not as good at stuff as you used to be, guess what? That's going to happen. Or for whatever reason, people get so desperate for that affirmation and for that applause that what the route it takes over and over again in music is, what if I get more naked? What if I, I don't know, what if I rap about more vile stuff? What if I push and push and push. And oftentimes these lives end sort of getting self-medicated, medicating themselves out of the world, chasing applause. And God would say that he's created each of us to live for his glory. He's created each of us with a purpose that is greater than the attention of people, which is so fickle, which is so fleeting. So why do you do the things you do And who do you do them for? It occurs to me that if we will only do some things for the applause of people, we will also begin to not do the right things because we want to avoid their disapproval. 
that if their approval is that important, then their disapproval really hurts as well. And whenever we live that way, we start dodging opportunities to be God's person in some really tough situations. So here's the litmus test. Number two, are we willing to do the right things if only God will see? That's really the ultimate test of motive. Jesus saying, let your light shine slash don't let people see. He's talking about motive. And I think one of the ultimate tests of whether or not we are doing things for God or people is, are there some things that we do and it doesn't matter if people see or not? Or do people need to see? So we shouldn't rush to that, answer that question. Um, I mean, doesn't it drive you mad seeing your parents transform the way they act in front of certain other people? You're like, I know the real you. Or seeing a politician in the neighborhoods shaking hands with people that are not like me and women because America is diverse. It's like, would you, would you do it if a camera wasn't there? It feels icky whenever we look at that, but then we have to turn it to ourselves too. Will we do something if we can't Instagram it? Will we just give because it's right and we don't have to tell anyone about it? Will we pray because we seek the presence of God, not because we were asked to please come up here and and pray. There's a heart check for really everything. And so how Jesus coaches us right here is he coaches us to forget ourselves altogether. He says, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So far beyond making sure people see you, far beyond like posting your giving receipts online or something crazy like that, you're not even letting... You're going out of your way not to be seen, not to be noticed. When you pray, go to your private room. If we're asked to pray in public, by all means, pray in public. That is not what Jesus is saying. But what he is saying is that the realest things we ever pray are when we're not posturing for anybody, whenever we're seeking God in the closet. When you fast, put oil on your head. I guess the modern day version would be like, dude, use some gel, clean up, do something. So that your fasting isn't obvious to anyone, but to your father who is in secret. Who we are when no one sees us is who we really are, right? Who we are when, who I am when no one's looking, that's who I really am. Who you are when no one sees, that's who you really are. So the way that we can begin to be consistent inside and out is to seek God in secret. So Jesus says three times right here, your father who sees in secret, your father who sees in secret, your father who sees in secret. Just like God can see through every little bit of posturing and manipulation we do, he also notices every little thing you've done for him or others that no one else saw. He takes great notes. And then he has a goal of giving great rewards. He's that kind. And that's the best thing, I think, number three, is that what is done for God gets rewarded by God. Long after applause fades, long after you get fired from the job you always wanted, long after whatever it is that you've chased, what is done for God is rewarded by God. And he rewards bigger and better than anyone else. And so Jesus says, your father who sees in secret, when you give to the poor, don't make a thing. Your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. 
Proverbs says, uh, Sheila talked about it this morning, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Have any of you ever had the experience where you were out in public and you were just, you were prompted to give something to somebody? There was no minister standing at the front organizing anything, giving you teaching. You were just, you were prompted and you did it. And you have no idea what came of it, but you did it. God honors that. Not only that, but I'm willing to bet probably that when you did it, it did something for you. Even if it was just this, making you a little less dependent on what was in your wallet because you knew that you were entrusting yourself to God. I've had experiences like that. I've had people do that for me. Whenever Crystal and I were really young and in ministry, just rolling in the dough for like $22,000 a year, and that was when $22,000 a year was still not a lot of money, you know, with a house, with car, doing the thing. And I just remember some of the most spectacular moments like that of God saying to us, um, I'm looking out for you, and probably of God saying to them, people we've never seen again, I want you to help me look out for them because you're my person. Amazing, right? And then the fasting. I don't know what you're seeking on your fast. I don't know what you're praying for and praying out, but I know that God is honoring you in your fast. Even if you couldn't stop yourself last night whenever you grabbed like seven Doritos and then you rolled up the bag really hardcore and fast. Okay, y'all are over Doritos, aren't you? I'm not, okay? But the Gospel of John talking about Jesus says that about Jesus, if all the things that he did were written down, John says, not all the books in the world could contain them. Hyperbole, but he's saying Jesus did things that we still don't know about. One day we'll get to know. And think about that just in terms of us. Like there are, there are people that have large followings and visible stuff and you see some of the things they do. And much more than that though, there are people who pray faithfully, who give quietly, whose food in the words of the psalmist is, is not food but tears. And God takes note of all of that. And you know what? I love this. Jesus compares his reaction at the end of our lives. I mean, when we get to, he to heaven, we will find out things about one another that we never knew, but God always knew. He's saying, yes, I knew she was that great. Yeah, I knew he did that. You had no idea, but I knew. And Jesus, he says, he compares his reaction at the end of the age to being like an investor who is, you know, he's rewarding people who have done good with what he entrusted them with. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. The quiet, basic stuff that you do is preparation for a weight of glory, Paul says, that you won't be able to bear. It's going to be more worth anything you've ever gotten on this side. There will be a day before God where you are rewarded for everything, where God says, Way to go, Priscilla. Was a way to go, Sam. I saw it. I saw it. Way to go, Michael. I knew you could do it. 
I knew you were doing it. No one else knew, but I knew. All of that, all of that is coming. And I just want to tell you very simply, it's going to be more than worth it. And God is the best one to live for. That's really how we're going to close. Your best life, isn't that what resolutions are often about? It's about our best life, trying to become our best self, trying to find the right motivation to stick with something. The best motivation is the motive that Jesus gives us to do it for God because you are God's person. Your best life is live for the glory of God. Does the approval of God mean that much to you? God, help your approval mean what it should to us. I want to go ahead and invite the band forward. Can we, um, can I pray for you? Lord, we are here this morning, early in January. Some of us have made resolutions, some of us haven't but probably all of us in some way, shape, or form are hoping to have something different, something better this coming year than last year. God, would you this morning reveal the emptiness to our hearts of chasing after the wrong things? Would you help us get to that most basic, bare level 